Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby. And this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast with your host, Nick McArdle. Yes, welcome once again to the Fox Rugby Podcast. I'm Nick McArdle here with Christy Doran from foxsports.com.au. And this week's special guest, Justin Harrison, the boss of the classic Wallabies. 34 tests for the Wallabies, 98 games between the Tars and the Brumbies, Ulster and Bath. Just some research gone into that, Googie, hey? Yeah, well done, mate. Thanks Three for Three seconds that. before we came on. <laughs> um, questions. Welcome home. How's it, how's it been after how many years? Uh, well, there's a small blip in there, 10 and 11, but probably, you know, 05, since 05, cons- consistently offshore, um, sort of spreading spreading the good name of Australian rugby and character off in various uh, places around the Northern Hemisphere. It's, it's a fantastic experience and, and, you know, everything that's good about rugby and the opportunity that you're given by the participation in it. You know, my father when I was 19 with a mattress on top of my Type 3 Volkswagen, <laughs> about to drive up north to Southern Cross University, go the rats. Uh, he said, mate, you should join a rugby team because you might get some mates mm. and uh, they'll be obliged to talk to you because you, you'll be in the same team as them. So I did. I joined the rugby team at Southern Cross University and I came up for air 18 years later. Yeah, and here we are. Yeah. Um, so just on that, having been away for so long... Uh, does it feel like coming home or does it feel like starting again? A bit, a bit of both. I, I, I sort of, you know, I, I'm, I'm a passionate Australian uh, male uh, and and I think it was important from a life point of view. We, we're fortunate to have two lovely young boys, Jack and Hugo, six and eight, and, and my heroic wife um, <laughs> has supported me on, on our decision to, to bring our, our children back home and give them an Australian cultural base to relaunch their lives and whatever whatever I get wrong as a father, which will be several things, hmm. most definitely I think we're going to get that one right. And, and yeah, coming home is great. It's great to be to be so familiar with some of the people that I spent uh, a lot, the majority of my adult life in that cauldron of professional sport. Uh, you know, and that there's no greater litmus test and character building exercise than stepping in front of Jerry Collins or someone. Tana Umanga running at the speed of sound, uh, Jonah Lomu over the top of you and leading the line in defence. And you find out all sorts of things about who you are and who your mates are and who you can trust. And, you know, coming back to be tactile with that network again has been rewarding. And look, there's no question that Australia and most significantly Sydney is one of the best places in the world to live. Looking, looking forward to hearing a few stories along the way in this pod. But uh, like you've, you've come home and you've linked up and you're now the head of the Classic Wallabies. Uh, talk us through the Classic Wallabies program. Oh, look, I think it's important to recognise I, I wouldn't necessarily count myself as the head. I'm sort of the facilitator of keeping that network of, of alumni, which is what we, we sort of call them now, but, you know, ex-national players or national representative players. You know, that X word's um, too traumatic a, a word, I feel. You know, once you're Wallaby, always a Wallaby. Once a national player, you're always a national player, whether you're lacing or not. Uh, and I think the, the, the main objective of that group is to keep them contacted and, and, and keep that, that golden thread running through us all alive. And it's not only ring-fenced to national representative. There's a lot of people that are um, equally involved and dedicate just as much life energy and experience uh, into rugby union to make it the great sport that we know it is. Uh, and it's facilitating a, a group of people that can 
that can engage the community firstly is, is, a, is a priority, engage the alumni, the, the past players, uh, because we've got, a, we've got a great start piece to the story. You get enticed into rugby now and you get offered all sorts of incentives to do it. And you get paid, of course, because you're risking your life pretty much, you know, if you want to go to that extreme to play. And you're dedicating the formative years of your adult life to a sport to entertain others really uh, and then the middle part is the athletic performance part you get looked after quite well we don't have that end story quite right yet we're not a welfare and or a charity but we're certainly a, a group of of men and women now who have a real requirement to stay connected and, and you know that's leverageable in all sorts of uh, walks of life and all up and down that food chain so we'll play a role in in participation mums and dads see the kids boys and girls interact with some past national players and they think that you know that's not a bad character building exercise and what a fantastic sport to be involved in and it's a rugby for life piece why why is it so important right now though perhaps more important now than it has ever been the role of the classics uh look i think i think rugby union now has been a sport a professional sport for long enough for us to start um feeling uh entitled for it to be getting it right. You know, that professional athlete now is... We've got three and a half generations of professional rugby player out of the game. We've got more people who were professional out of it than were in it. So we've we've reached equilibrium and now we're at tipping point. And the room that was dedicated to that sort of care piece or transitional piece, uh, mental health space particularly, career transition, uh, framework of, of commerciability mentoring, business con connectivity, that room is still probably the same size, but it's got many more bodies trying to cram into it now. A lot of people are running towards that room and setting up groups and foundations and different resources are being dragged out of the same pool of rugby union framework. We just need to be careful that, you know, we don't accelerate um, that drain on resource by just creating another player in that space. So the, the, the classic Wallabies, I think, will, will play a very uh, important role in galvanising some of that strategic alignment around those areas and making sure that everyone's embraced from top to bottom. Well, we were just talking before coming on air about the concept of grassroots and what actually, you know, the classic Wallabies are playing a huge role in, in, in getting into junior clubs and so forth and, and what culture is and what the Australian rugby culture is. Just your take on what culture and grassroots and is. <laughs> oh, look, it's, it's, it's many a discussion point and, and, and making that finite and, and, and pulling that apart. Um, it, it's often difficult, but I think that, you know, culture for me is not something that, that happens um, just by putting a group of people together that you think are going to get along, you know, and certainly it's not um, a prerequisite that you need to win games to generate some culture, you know, you need to be careful and mindful of the people that are involved in producing the sport. I think that rugby union possibly has taken its eye off the ball and become very focused on the product, what's happening in the, on the dirt and win-loss ratios and high performance and absolutely that's important but we've forgotten about the people that produce that product and, and how we engage them before, middle and after that whole piece is, is either operating in front of us or expired. Um, and, you know, grassroots for me is it's different for everyone. Some some people just want someone to come and say day to their kids and, and, and kick a ball around as, a, as, as a, a wallaby player. Other people would like help with purchasing some equipment. Other people would like a set of uniforms. 
other people would like a clear pathway through to, through to super and national representative football or other people just want a framework to have sustainability across the grades in their little postcode. Um, so it's different, you know, I was standing at the Clovelly Eagles registration day on Saturday with my uh, um, eight-year-old son and six-year-old son and the energy and buzz around there, the kids, everyone talking about, you know, World Cups and Wallabies and all sorts of things was, was fantastic and just making sure that that's alive from, from there all the way through to the, the classic Wallaby department is, is probably a paramount focus for us. You were uh, always a great team man I think always uh, enjoyed the game on and off the field. Has it been fun uh, reconnecting with some of your, your former teammates? Yeah, look, it's been, you know, nostalgia clouds fact when you get together with a bunch of old blokes, doesn't it? We get a lot better the longer we haven't played and, and, and you know, that's that's powerful emotion. Uh, but we're all, we're all very pleased that we were able to achieve maximum enjoyment out of something that we that we that we were lucky enough to to do together for a while uh you know and rugby you know i think rugby it's still got a place to be that pantomime hasn't it you know you still need a villain or two behind the bloke and he's behind you sort of scenario and everyone sort of closes their eyes and leaves one open to see what's going to happen next and you know rugby's still got such wonderful character and the old adage that there's a position for everyone mm. and, the, you know, I mean, now particularly with women as well, becoming the fastest growing participatory sport in the world, rugby, you know, that's a powerful um, uh, environment to be operating in and certainly something that's very exciting. We will talk about Super Rugby soon and the results just gone by and, and Billy Meeks is joining us on the pod in a little while. But... There's a couple of great stories that probably need to be told from, from your side. You, you, <laughs> right. you, you'll be known as well as, as the man. Like, can you, I've known as many things, mate. So which, how do you <laughs> well, know me? <laughs> well, I know you as the, as the bloke who stole the, the line out, the crucial <laughs> ball in your test day boot. Yes. Do people just remind you of that continually? Well, if they don't, I do. Um, <laughs> it's problematic, though. A lot of people I, I see uh, probably ask me immediately after we talk about that, and I've talked the minute through minute how I saved Australian rugby in 2001. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they say, what did you do after that? And I sort of have to say that that was my test debut. I was around for another couple of years. But, um, oh, look, it's, it was, I was lucky to be a part of that, that series. Of, uh, an amazing squad, an amazing group of players and... Um, you know, I remember before I played thinking that I just didn't want to look out of place. Um, and whilst I probably did, I managed to contribute in some capacity to, to help my teammates and, and have a few a few um, enjoyable stories afterwards. And actually, here's a fact that not many people probably don't believe, given what they've seen me do most often, but I didn't drink for 48 hours after that test, not a drop because I was told by everyone how quickly it goes and, you know, you, you've got to remember every minute. And I was ter terrified of, of getting on the beers because I just didn't want to have that, you know, forgetful part where you lose time, you know, if you get, have too many beers and that hangover stuff. So I just wanted to be awake and aware for as long as possible. Um, you know, I certainly made up for it <laughs> at the 49th hour. But uh, up until then, uh, uh, and that's probably one of the most vivid memories of my life, those two days after the test. Well, you had a couple of beers, though, what, a week or so before your next test. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so it's an in- well, I got into the test because Giff got injured. I, I managed to successfully injure him in the in the lead up to the test, and therefore he was ruled out, and I was in. Uh, and so I played that British and Irish Lions test, and then he came back in, so I got dropped from the squad. So I found myself a week later in at the Gold Coast Breakers home ground in front of three people in a sand dune, and uh, with the Canberra Vikings playing uh, playing this match, uh, and then that night. We, we, we were having a few beers. Uh, I was making up for my for my abstinence the week earlier. And uh, it was 2 o'clock in the morning. We're watching Australia play South Africa in South Africa. And David Giffen comes up on the screen. He elbows Robbie Fleck in the head and gets red carded. And so it was like a Western. Music stopped, beers down. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone turned to look at me and said, Harrison, you're playing next week. And uh, uh, sure enough, I got the phone call the next day and said, mate, uh, you, you're back in the squad. Can you come down and present? Uh, for training, and uh, we went down to Dunedin that year, that week and beat beat New Zealand to win the Bledisloe as well. So I sort of, I should have retired after that, probably. Well, Two tests. You are one of a number of your era that has a, a positive win loss ratio against the All Blacks, aren't you? Yeah, it's quite nice actually, because. Yeah, we sort of we we certainly lose the dancing comp before the game, but we we won more 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 stuff on on the field than we did lose against against the the All Blacks, which was you know pleasing to do, and certainly um, knowing exactly how many beers of be, cans of beer go into filling up a Bledisloe Cup is probably not something that many people know at the moment. So, yeah, well, and and just for the record, mate, it's about twenty five. Right, just over a case. Okay, there we go. Slab. Hopefully, hopefully that uh, perhaps might be reminded for the for the current generation sometime soon. Um, now, were we in danger of of losing you to uh, to prof- professional rugby or from professional rugby to the army? Was that ever a, a possibility? <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, that's an interesting story. That's a long time ago now, and I'm, you know, Australian rug, uh, the Australian Army might not be too pleased. But I was standing 1995 after the Canberra Kookaburras uh, had had beaten Ramwick in the in the semi final at Concord. We were had a presentation night. Murray Harley was standing next to me, and he said, "Look, what are you doing for the next couple of weeks?" I said, "Not much, Just, you know, staying alive and 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 making 20 bucks last of the weekend." Um, and uh, he said, "Look, we're going on a tour to Fiji." The Australian Army. We need a we need a second row. Would you like to come? I said, Yeah, cool. That sounds great. He said, okay, good. Be at Ramwick Army Barracks tomorrow, and, and away away we'll go. Little did I know that I rocked in there, and there was a colonel waiting for me at the gate. <laughs> Ro- marched me into this big basketball hall, and there was about 110 other people sitting down to do an exam. And he pointed to a desk, and down I sat. And so, <laughs> yeah, four hours later, I get spat out of this this whole whirlwind of activity so I did an exam I had an interview with a psych officer and I I was um gradually the crowd got less and less and uh and then I found myself in a room swearing an oath of allegiance to the coin to protect Australia in a time of war I was in I was actually part of an induction into the Australian Army Reserve so I was given a an enlistment certificate uh issued well I was about to be issued with my greens but they sort of pulled me sideways and and I was introduced to the Australian Army rugby team as a fully-fledged Private Harrison. There you go. Uh, and, and toured Fiji. Well done. Unbelievable. Is there any, and then I, any pension involved? In I, that? <laughs> <laughs> I was terrified of actually war being called and me having to be called up. But, um, you know, because rugby field fighting is entirely different to gun in your hand. <laughs> stuff. nutritional stuff. But, um, yeah, it was it was great. I ended up playing four or five games for the Australian Army against the Navy boys at Adford down there and we beat them every time. There you go. It became a bit of a problem when I signed a Brubbins contract though. I got tapped on the shoulder and told to 
cease and desist. Mm. Uh, hence how you got out of it alive. I got out of it alive, yeah. Just. Do you want to talk some Super Rugby? Probably should. All right. Um, now, you were in Canberra on Friday night. I was. You, uh, you made the trip with our very own... Rod Kafer, old to be a fly on the wall in, in that car. The tugboat. That car trip, yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, so what, what, did you, what did you think of, um, well, the Brumbies and the Rebels first up and, and did it unfold the way you thought it might? Uh, look, I think, I think um, having not watched a live game of Super Rugby for, for, for quite a while, I was, I was buoyed by the energy around, around the ground from, from a, a spectator point of view and a, a, uh, around the town. I was like, got there early and spent the day sort of leading into it and listening to the, the language around the town was much, much more energetic than it has been in, in previous years. Um, but the game itself, I thought, was, he- was, was very heavily breakdown-oriented. You know, there was, there was not such intensity at that breakdown um, w- was where the game's gone clearly i think having not been a been a, a back but a bloke that's coached a little bit of rugby and watched a little bit of rugby i'd probably like to see um some more energy put into first phase um scoring opportunities instead of sort of building or setting up for for, for either kick or run play um but i think the standard the athletic performance on the field the the the, the sort of competitiveness of both teams was was Evident, you know, clearly, well, Will Genier and Quade Cooper are a great combination that are still going to find their way into the season, and they'll only get better if mm. they keep them together. Mm. I think, you know, Super Rugby is so attritional now that the most successful team, I think, will be the one that that keeps pretty pretty intact their starting fifteen throughout the year, uh, and that may involve some guys having to rest some of those bigger trips and and, and some of those trips over to Japan and in different parts of the world. But travel certainly. Uh, wearing some squads thin at the moment. So the Rebels come from behind to to end up winning 34-27. H- mm. How significant and, and how much of a concern is it now that David Pocock, first opening minutes of, of the match, is, is forced off because of a head knock and it's been a bit of a recurring issue over the last 12 months, head knocks and, and neck issues around the, the breakdown. Should Can the Brumbies even contemplate resting him for... Not, not just two weeks, but perhaps longer, particularly in in a World Cup year. Yeah, look, I think I think most teams in professional rugby now are successful if they've got a a well balanced, fully functional back row. You know, they become so integral to the performance of 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 the twelve other blokes trying to get the ball off their opposition, and 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 the the back row facilitate a lot of that. David Pocock's clearly a big big part of that puzzle for the Brumbies. They, they base a lot of their game, not only breakdown capability, but a lot of their off, off the back of line outs and malls and he's able to, 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 to pass and deliver some, some of that interaction with the back line. He's getting better at that. Uh, you know, back head, head, head knocks and, and neck injuries, are, it's a bit like shark attacks when you're overseas, you know. It's the thing to report at the moment. So you mm. kind of feel like it's happening every second minute, but I don't think it's happening any... More or less than it than it used to. Certainly, but, but, the aren't game, the, but aren't the controls around it? That's right. Yeah, I think the that, controls. That's where it's that's where which the story is, is. Which is which is commendable. I think you know we need to celebrate the fact that that that's occurring, uh, and, and just just have confidence that David will be in a position um, because of the the treatment plan that will be in place to come back fully fit. But absolutely, you know, a player that with that amount of Australian IP resource put into him and Brumby um, intellect as well uh, to be missing him on the field. It was 
unquestionably will, will, will affect their performance moving forward until he's back on the field. Yeah, it was a question that we kicked around for a little while on, on Super Saturday along the lines of, even if he is good to go, do you try and sort of manage him? Do you, you know, just play him for home games, for example, or, you know, some way of managing through through to the World Cup? And Kaif was very adamant. He, he just said, no, look, if he's fit, you play him. He's going to want to play. The team needs him to play, so you play him. But is there a... A higher discussion to be had about that in in terms of you know keeping well, him in can, cotton wool ahead of the world. Cup. Can you win a world cup? Can the Wallabies succeed at the world cup without David Pocock? Well, th- that's a question, and then the follow-on question is: um, Should that be a concern for the Brumbies? Do you know, like like you know, d- can Australia win a world cup? But does that really matter to what the Brumbies are trying to achieve? It's a it's a tough question. Uh, no, look, you know, people talk about centrally can controlled and resting players and timing of seasons and those sorts of things. I think as a player, you play what's in front of you and you want to play as much as you can because there's a there's a change room element at, at, at work here as well. You know, you can't dip in and out of performance, which leads into sort of that cultural aspect as well. Mm. Um, it's not like a hazing, be, be silly and put yourself in harm's way scenario. But if you're not present, if you're fit to play, you, you, you're going to play for the team. And there's big, big numbers that have been tipped into you know, there's some of these players from a resource point of view and that's where their their worth is on the field, mm. you know. Their worth is on the dirt, not watching. Mm. Uh, and so that will affect the performance of the team if a bloke's coming in and out, the dichotomy and hierarchy of flow of information and, and the leadership group and all those sorts of things that will affect um, not only just performance at breakdown need to be considered. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it probably adds weight to the argument of the design of the Super Rugby season and how we manage players leading into test campaigns and the, the, the length of, of the calendar year from a performance point of view from an, for an elite athlete is probably something that we need to be addressing more than an individual team's responsibility to manage one person mm. through that team cycle. Mm. The good the good news is from a Brumbies perspective, they've got a bloke who's pretty handy called Pete Sama who came off the bench and, and did more than an adequate job. And, and so you'd expect if, if Pocock is in, indeed ruled out of, of this Saturday's match against uh, what, the Chiefs that, that mm. Sama would probably start. And Lockie McCaffrey, you know, proved himself. You know, he, he was doing more around the breakdown in the first half on, on Friday night than we've yeah. probably seen him do before. So. Yeah, yeah. So mm. he had something there as well. Indeed, Rob Valentini. So, so clearly uh, disappointing for the Brumbies, but they've got a big opportunity this weekend against a Kiwi side. Um, how important is it to, to beat New Zealand teams? Oh, look, it's important to beat any team in front of you, but, you know, New Zealand teams no, unquestionably have a little bit of a mortgage on on, on catching uh, a winning disease, you know. You, you, it's catching, running, uh, developing a winning habit can happen just as quickly as a losing habit. So you're only one game away from changing that either way. Uh, and, and it's a good – it's all historically, you know, my memory for as, as good or bad as it is, you know, early in the year is a good time to get New Zealand side. Typically they're slow starters. They have very re- much reduced pre-seasons. They, they're pretty relaxed about how they build into seasons. Uh, and it's a good time to get to get those those sides. The Chiefs for the Brumbies will be problematic, but certainly not insurmountable. Pete Samu, you know, we we, we mentioned him. He's a great penetrative runner. You know, he, he gives the Brumbies some great um, access in behind, bends the line, um, and and 
I don't think that we need to be too concerned about losing someone uh, of Dave Pocock's uh, playing ability over the ball. They can certainly manufacture, you know, one through 15 players now are pretty good at attacking and controlling that speed of breakdown. I'd be more concerned about the balance of the back row um, um, rather than just missing one player. It's certainly... You know, the Brumbies will be smarting after a, what was a, a reasonably pedestrian effort in defence against the Rebels. They'd score, get ahead, then let them straight back in, mm. you know, and I think they'll probably spend some time on on uh, addressing that this week. And do you expect their game to evolve? Uh, you know, we, we saw, um, I think it was all four tries, wasn't it, in the end, scored by... Um, the Brumbies, yes. Yeah, the Brumbies tries yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all scored by forwards, you know, the, the mall for, for a couple and, and then, um, you know, a couple of... A couple of pick and drives. Yeah, Rory Rory Arnold just jumping it. over the top of the, <laughs> oh, yeah, of the rack. The I can tell you what, I can tell you back in the day, right, when I was calling lineouts for the Brumbies, if I ever called a mall... Kaif would specifically walk over to me and say, if you ever call that sh- again, I'm going to ask them to sub you off. We do not want that sort of ball. And so, now... And now it's every second move, yeah. you know. Because it's their best scoring weapon, which is, you know, brings me back to the question, do, 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 you, do you expect it to evolve as it did last year? They found their mojo last year. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm certainly not an expert, but opinions are, are like everything else. They come and go with the sun. But, you know, mine is that I think that kicking um, as an attacking um, play is, is, is really just a turnover disguised as an effort in attack. Uh, and Maul's flattened the line-up in defence, and unless you score from them five metres out, it probably doesn't have a place anywhere else in the game. I also feel like it was great. You know, we used to we'd rock up with the Brumbies, and it's, you know, I've got to be careful not to glaze over all the time about days gone by, but, you know, we used to say, you know, it's showtime. We, we, we really enjoyed that entertainment piece that we were able to provide a crowd, and... and there would be sessions of training during the week specifically designed to inventing something new that was worth a go. Luckily, we had Griggs, Roffy, Bernie Larkham, Rod Kafer. Oh, he's probably the odd one out there, but those other, <laughs> blokes, those other blokes were all pretty handy. We had, you know, World 15 backline almost every time. To yeah. Sterling Mortlock, you know, Andrew Walker, you know, Mark Bartholomew. So we were pretty pretty lucky with that but a lot of teams did the first phase attack was a genuine crack at scoring off first phase and it was either simple or 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 not but it was flat at the line there was some some deviations happening some decoy runners and all that sort of carry on that Spiro Zavos and the boys used to try and Hmm. berate but that's what it was it's like let's let's it's game on here let's throw the ball around and 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 have a good time doing it because players enjoy that as well you know I hate I wasn't very good at it as well, but malls and that sort of dirt stuff, you, you don't see the game. You don't, you know, you know, I'm not there just to put my head beside bloody Bill Young's backside for 79 minutes and then can't <laughs> think I've done a good job, you know. I want to be part of the fun as well. Well, that, that's one of the great things about Quade Cooper's return, isn't it? That that, that idea of entertainment and, and what he brought on, on Friday night. Yeah, I mean, and, and he didn't have to do anything outrageous to do it. He just played within himself but it was so so flat and, and it, just, it just worked for the Rebels. Well, let's get Billy Meek's take on uh, what happened in Canberra on Friday night. Listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Billy, thanks for joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast. Uh, you'd be walking with a bit of a, a spring in your step, wouldn't you? A nice start to the season. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, definitely feeling pretty good. It's obviously a good way to start the season, uh, one from one. But um, obviously, I think we've realised we've got a, we've got a long way to go. It's a long season, and 
think we all walked in on Monday with a bit of a spring in our step, but Dave snapped us into order pretty quickly and um, got into some review stuff. So long way to go, but um, definitely a good way to start. We'll get to the game itself in a, in a, in a little bit, but uh, Dave, what did he think of the of the match and, and what did he highlight and come out of it? Uh, yeah, look, obviously a good start. I think attitudinally it's, it's exactly where we needed to be. Um, on the pitch, we, we felt really good. Um, we're going through our processes. Obviously, uh, missed timing on a few different things and uh, a few opportunities that we missed out there and a few points, I think, that we left out there as well. Um, but I think all in all, pretty positive. Um, but we know that, you know, coming up against the Highlanders in a week's time, uh, we feel as though they're going to be a, a better outfit and uh, a bigger challenge for us. So we're definitely going to get better. Billy, uh, Justin here, mate. So just watching the game, it looked like, um, you know, once, once Pocock, you know, Brumby's lost Pocock, you guys were able to probably get two or three, four phases uh, together more and, and, and be much more comfortable with, with the combination um, with Will and, and Quaid particularly. What sort of chat at half time? One of the things I thought was, was that the defence was a bit, a bit sporadic in, in, in intensity. Yep. Um, well, yeah, D's definitely something we touched on. I think just the whole onus on how we're trying to play this year, it goes against a lot of the things you sort of get taught growing up um, as juniors. So, you know, we're trying to play really flat at the line um, in your face. We're trying to sort of eliminate rucks um, and keep the ball moving as much as possible and try, try and play really fast. And, you know, the same in our D, we're trying to bring, you know, immense line speed, uh, which is quite tough to do. And you've got to be, you know, pretty pretty fit to do it as well. So at times it's going to be really tough. Um you know, but when it does click, it's definitely hard to defend um, our, our attack. And then on the flip side, it's it's hard to attack when you've got people sprinting at you. So I think it's just about getting a little bit of consistency with that, um, realising when, we when we've can, we got momentum, when we can play on top of them, but then having a good balance of slowing it down and, you know, going to our set piece and stuff like that. In terms of trying to play flat, you've got a, a fly half who's uh, reasonably good at that, Quade Cooper. He, uh, he had, well, I won't describe it. How would you describe his game first up? Um, geez, I think it was, it was pretty good all round. Uh, I think I think from the minute he's, he's walked in the door here, he's, he's been extremely focused. Um, you know, as soon as I, I heard that he'd signed you, I was very excited. And I think right throughout pre-season, all the work that he's done sort of gone into that round one. And I think it was an all-round pretty good performance. Um, I know he's, I know he still thinks he's got a lot to work on. And, but just playing off him, the, the, like how flat he is, um, the amount of confidence he gives you in running lines, his understanding of the game is, is, is so good for our team. And, you know, for me personally, to play off a guy like that and, you know, Willie at nine as well, um, it's just going to make all of our games so much better. And what does it do in terms of your combination and you playing off him? Uh, you know, how difficult is that? Because he, he is such an ad-lib footballer. Are you kind of on edge all the time? Does it help you or make you raise your game? It's 100%. It's definitely going to take some getting used to. He's um, He like, plays a lot of heads-up rugby. I know you hear that term a lot, but he's, he definitely just plays what he sees. Um, he's, he's not afraid to get up you if you're not with him because he does play extremely flat. Um, but I think, you know, as the, as time goes on, we'll, we'll develop that combination a bit more. But, you know, pre-season's been really good. It's been good to get to know him off the field as well. Um, and we're definitely building on that. But, um, you know, he, he keeps everyone in check. And um, the way he wants to play is, is the way we're going to play. So um, hopefully it just keeps building and building. Yes, speaking on the off-field sort of stuff, like you guys would have probably what first met really in December because you wouldn't have been involved in too many camps before and coming back um, to Australia just a couple of years ago yourself. So what's it like getting to know someone like Quade Cooper who you would have known a lot about and perhaps he might not have known so much about you? 
Yeah, I, I met him probably loosely in a couple of camps um, here and there in the last couple of years, but never probably got to know him, as you said. So, mate, he's been unbelievable. I, honestly, when I when I first heard his sign, I didn't really know what to expect because um, I didn't know him that well. But he's just been so so vulnerable, so honest. Um, he's really bought into the culture and really made himself available for all the young guys and you know myself included and just passing on all his knowledge. And as I said before, he's really just buying into it. You can tell he, he wants to have a big year. He wants to he genuinely wants the rebels to go well. He, he genuinely cares about Australian rugby. And I think I think it's showing on the field and, you know, he comes in every day with a good attitude and, you know, hopefully it hopefully it continues and, you know, as I said, it's, it's great to play off him. Uh Billy, one of the things that struck me about uh, uh, all of the matches uh, across the weekend was the intensity at breakdown, 1 through 15. Every player seems to be able to come outside in or inside out and have a go at the ball just to really try and dominate that speed of the game piece. How much time is dedicated across the board as a backline? You know, back in the day, backs looked at breakdowns like they looked at you know, pumpkins. They probably run away from them before they run towards them. But, you know, one thing that struck me, you know, you used to, Tana Umung and Brian O'Driscoll were probably the only two you had to worry about. And it seemed like the entire backline of the Melbourne Rebels was able to get in and get over the ball. Yeah, it's definitely something we've we've worked on a fair bit. Um, it's it's become sort of a different skill set as well that you can sort of add to your game. And I think as backs start to do it, other backs sort of start to adapt because you know if someone can do something that you can't, and it sort of puts them one up on you. But yeah, we we spend a fair bit of time on that as well because it's it's such a big part of the game now with sevens and all back rowers being so unbelievable over the ball. So both in attack and D, we we do actually touch on that a fair bit. Hey Billy, uh, just on on you uh, personally, you've been sort of in and around that that Wallaby squad now. Um, have you done anything different in the off season to try and help you take that next step and actually grab the gold jersey? Have you have you done something that you that you think might make the difference this year? Um, yeah, look, I, obviously I've been in and out of that squad for a while, and um, I think the first thing is to actually have a full preseason. And I haven't had one for whatever reason for. For you know, three or four years, um, just sort of being in and out of the spring tour, and then coming back from England and stuff like that. So it's been really good to just actually work on my body and um, work on my physical side of things. Because I spoke to Bernie Larkin sort of before spring tour last year, and I think at the time it was a lot of disappointment for me not going, and I, I sort of couldn't figure out why and stuff like that. But he just he said to me, "I'm I'm happy with your rugby stuff, but I really want you to work on your body, your conditioning, your strength, your speed, your kick, your kicking, and stuff like that, and really just use this time." Plus, like, just get better every day as yourself. Um, and, you know, obviously at the time, I, you know, I didn't really want to hear it, but on reflection, I, I just feel so much better for it. I have an unbelievable preseason. I uh, physically feel amazing. And I think I think that's probably going to be the difference for me this year. And I think last year, if I'm honest, I probably focused on the Wallaby stuff too much and didn't focus on the super stuff. So I think for me this year, moving forward, is just week in, week out, trying to be the best I can for the Rebels, trying to make the team, and hopefully other stuff will look after itself. Billy, speaking of conditioning, they've been telling me I need to put twenty kilos on before they'll give me a run. But you, you said, like you've just you've just said that that was the big work on for you in the off season. What does that like exactly mean in terms of is it putting on extra weight or or is it uh, just working on the, on the speed sort of element of of of, of the body? Yeah, it's a, it's a combination. I think um, obviously everyone's a little bit different, but for me, I think I've just lacked that little top end speed bit. Um, so working on the power in the gym, um, working on the speed sessions out on the field, um, and then just a lot of top-end conditioning. You know, we've got this thing now, it's called peak game intensity, and it's trying to train above what a game would be. So, you, you know, you're pushing yourself to the limits when you're training, and then 
hopefully that's worst case scenario and you're getting to a game and you're feeling as comfortable as you can. So, yeah, it's a combination of all of it. Probably for me, just the power and speed side of things that, you know, I'd like to add to my game. Well, mate, I, I can wind back the clock here and tell you a conversation I had with your McKenzie when I signed with the Brumbies that are ringing wet 101 kilos with all of my boot and gear on. He said to me, mate, I don't care what you eat, just eat all day, every day. So I had things like plates of boiled potato in the fridge and I'd have about four boiled potatoes and wouldn't go to bed until I weighed at least three kilos heavier than what I woke up as. Um, you can try that for a while, mate, if you want. Just don't end up no, no, like me. I don't have that problem, Justin. I've played on way too easy. I need to watch him. <laughs> no, no one told Gug, though, that he should stop that regime after he, after he stopped playing. Got the pregnant snake going nicely now, mate. Don't you worry. <laughs> hey, Billy, thanks very much um, for, for joining us today. And obviously, you guys had a great start last year too. So I guess the awareness that that, that didn't count for what you wanted it to count for in the end, that's got to uh, weigh on your mind as well as, as we head forward to uh, to the rest of the season. Oh, definitely, and you know what a what a great test for us. You know, coming off the bye this weekend into a, into a Kiwi team at home, so it'll be a good test to see where we're at. Um, we're not getting ahead of ourselves, and it's going to be a hell of a challenge. And you know, we certainly think we're up for it. Good luck with it, mate. Good on you, mate. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Billy Meeks joining us there on the Fox Rugby podcast, and uh, they'll be. Still finding some things to work on in their bye week and, and looking forward to uh, getting a roll on when their season resumes in a couple of weeks. We probably should move on to uh, the Waratahs and the Hurricanes. And you talked about, you know, the, a, a winning uh, habit can change into a, a losing habit quickly. Um, and that's what made that result so frustrating. It was that, that one point or two points, as, as it mm. turned out, could have changed the conversation. We, we we could have changed the conversation around what was what was happening, you know, between us and, and, and the Kiwis in one result. Not that it's dire times or anything, but it just would have been so good to, to nail that win. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Waratahs clearly have prepared well physically and, and they, they look like a, a very complete squad of, of probably 28 to 30 players able to play super rugby and starting good super rugby. Uh, yeah, and and it's it's extremely disappointing in some cases. Though sometimes that you know this is a great test, a litmus test of of, of that thing we call culture. Um, you know, and that'll either galvanise galvanise the team to to concentrate on what worked for them and get better at that instead of redesigning the ship and and trying to sail a different way. You know, that's clearly had a had a uh, an. An almost winning formula, although the thing to remind yourself is that you know I, I, some of the conversations um, that you have sometimes, you know, if someone's if you've lost a game and you've said, well, we did the best we could, there's two problems with that. Firstly, we expect you to do the best you could, and if that was the best, then your best wasn't good enough. Mm. So they do need to find some some other way of putting themselves in a position to win a game without a penalty in the last second. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Oh, and that's what I think most of the players said, that sure, yeah. it would been good if Bernie had kicked it. But yeah. there's a whole lot of other yeah. stuff to talk about in the 79 minutes beforehand. Yeah, yeah I, right. I look at the uh, the missed scrum opportunity earlier in the game where they're on five metres out and, and they can see the penalty there on yeah. a, an attacking ball. And that's an opportunity there. If you, with that back line, you've just got to be able to win your own ball there, mm. score the try get into a big lead. But huge opportunity missed, particularly in front of a huge crowd at, Brookvale Oval, 17,000 there. And, like, despite all the doom and gloom of the last three years, great to see a, a packed crowd and, and 
you could hardly move around there. The beer lines were ridiculous. Um, not that I was able to have a drink myself, but um, another the, the demolition and it hasn't really got underway of the SFS, but a great opportunity to spread the ball uh, oh, yeah. the game further throughout New South Wales. No doubt. So they'll be um, taking it to to Western Sydney, the new Parramatta Stadium, and uh, and also Newcastle as well. So yeah, spreading the rugby gospel and and. So many good things are, you know, still to happen for the Tars. Defensively, they were, you know, outstanding the other night. So there's, there's up, a lot to hold on. Return to was like defensively looks great, and and uh, Kirtley Beal expected to come back to play at uh, inside centre against the Sunwolves this weekend in, in Tokyo. Mm. So they've yeah, as you say, they've got the Sunwolves. Um, what about the Reds? Get their season underway uh, against the Highlanders on on Friday night. Um, you know, it's a, a tough start to the season after sitting out the bye in the first round. It, it's it's not an easy op, uh, proposition, but Brad Thorne finished up his, his Super Rugby career with with the Highlanders. Did a bit of coaching there, so oh, I don't think he'll be daunted by the uh, uh, by going down there. But as you say, huge like it's a huge test for a young red side to start your season having you know a by first round the highlanders have beaten the chiefs away in their first match not the the most clinical of performances but aaron smith scores late in the in the match to steal a win and and now the reds over in dunedin like justin uh, they've got a, a young 10 a young 12 we've just spoken about you know, you don't want to be playing necessarily um, forward-orientated games, but that's where the Reds' real strength is with, with Taniella there and um, you've got Isaac Rodder and, and Tui Lucan there. So you would expect the Reds, though, to play to that strength of forwards and, and the, the, the real dirty stuff there. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think it's dangerous to, to design a game around perceived strengths because if, if you know you get that consistency of performance, so you need to provide your tens and your young members of the squad to get early touches and to give them confidence that to, to know their worth within within this moving part of a team. Uh, you know, play. If, you know, having a buy the first week, you, you can look at it as a positive or not. You've got a week's extra fitness or a week's extra um, simulated game practice to try some more combinations and try some things out with a view to seeing the first round and getting a read on what the sort of uh, environment is going to look like when you get into game game mode. So I don't think that's going to penalise the Queensland Reds. Certainly playing away is going to be going to be um, difficult for them. But, you know, I think the Queensland Reds last year showed some consistency in away performances. I certainly put on some good performances at home. People wax lyrical about youth of squads and we're only just learning. You know, we can't, we've got to be careful not to, not to use super games as trial games for, for young players. You're either a super player or you're a test player and you, you've earned the jersey. So you know, when, when you hear coaches describe losses as being, you know, part of a, a mix of, well, we've got some young players who are getting experience, well, mate, that's, you know, you've picked that squad, you've brought that squad through and you've given that bloke that jersey. So it actually rests on you, not him. Mm. It's your fault putting him in there, not ours. Uh, so don't, you don't play a player into Super 12 for, or Super 8, what is it, 18 now? Super 8, 15, Super 15 form? 15. Yeah. Who knows? Um, what you do is get them ready in pre-season, get them comfortable in the group, get them physically prepared with your with your your um, your strength and conditioning coaches, and understand that you know how you want to play and you've trained the players appropriately. You, you can't hope to show up on the day and play 
a certain way unless you've given every player an opportunity in the program for however long they've been in it to to develop those skills necessary to play how you want to play. You can't turn around at the end of a game and say, well, he's young and he's just learning. Well, who is he learning from if it's not you before you picked him? Mm, mm. You know, those sorts of things start springing to mind. But, you know, I think Queensland Reds, certainly they've waxed lyrical about the you know, this word culture again, and Brad Thorne certainly had free reign on who he wanted in and out of the squad. So guess what? Yeah. Now's the time for us to show what that's going to do. Rubber, rubber hitting road right yeah. there. What, what did you make of all of that? You know, a coach uh, is entitled to, to make those those changes, um, but, but they're pretty big name changes, weren't they, to, to have sort of heading off in other directions? Yeah, I think, oh, look, as a coach, a head coach, whenever there's a negotiation process happening when head coaches are getting recruited around the world, probably the first thing you look to do is to is to understand the level of control you have. You know, if it's going to have your DNA and name all over the program and the result, you know, coaches live and die by results typically, then you need to have uh, just as big a hand in, in the ingredients of that, of that win-loss ratio. So commendable that... that Queensland Reds board and, and the powers that be up there have given given Brad that level of uh, of control, uh, but you know with that comes accountability. Mm. So, well, the, I th- think probably their one of their hottest propositions is uh, young Geordie Bataille. So looking forward to seeing how he goes. Probably in the outside centre jersey or, or, or so with with Karevi perhaps inside him. So that one, uh, what, Friday afternoon, isn't mm, it? Yeah, it's the, the 5.30 game on uh, on Fox Sports on Friday, right after the kick-off at uh, 5 o'clock Eastern before we kick, o- kick on again after uh, after let's, the game. Let's hope they're not getting taxis to the ground like we had to a little while ago, not so long ago, with the Brumbies when our manager forgot to book the team bus. Is that right? So we walked out. Do you want to, <laughs> do you want to name and shame? <laughs> Branches, you're out there, mate. You, you know you forgot to book the team bus. <laughs> We are milling around in the foyer waiting to get on and there's no bus and then the, he came past and then we had a fleet of taxis arrive and take us down to Carisbrook, the House of Pain. But see, that's uh, professionalism right there, being ready for anything right. at any time. We were ready. We, I think we lost 10 minutes because everyone was blowing up about not having cab charges. Who was going to pay for it? But uh, <laughs> we got there in the end. Very good. All right, um, Justin, terrific to have you back in the country. It really is. And I know that uh, a lot of people in Australian <laughs> rugby are excited about the fact that you are now uh, linked with the Classic Wallabies and uh, there's some good things happening there and, and it's good for the game. And thanks for joining us on the podcast. Well, it's great to be back and looking forward to, to seeing everyone out there and enjoying that rug- wonderful rugby family that we're all a part of.